Oh, Lord, may your word only be spoken and may your word only be heard in the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. I want to start with a brief apology this morning um, to our second reader. I just want to say I I'm not going to say anything about what you read about, so I'm sorry to I'm sorry to have put you through that. Maybe another time. We're in the second week of Epiphany in our church calendar, that time in the church year when we focus in particular on the ways that the message and ministry of Jesus begin to make their ways out into the world. Epiphany is about, you might say, aha moments in the ways that humanity hears and responds to the message of Jesus. We also find ourselves this Sunday morning on the eve of Martin Luther King Day. And what better way to explore how the message and ministry of Jesus rings out into the world by marking the impact of King's ministry. And I'll say more about that specifically in a moment. In our readings today, we witness a number of aha moments of human beings awakening and responding to God's invitation to do God's work in the world. It seems that it usually takes a bit of time for that invitation to sink in. We see, for example, Nathaniel's initial skepticism about what he's going to do about this Jesus and his invitation. We see Samuel's confusion about just who, in fact, was speaking to him and what that speech meant. Both of them needed the guidance and experience of others to help them hear and then to respond to God's call. And they both do respond to that call, going places that they never dreamed of. And in turn, their responses make known in all the world the power of God. In this context, I'm reminded of a story about Jonathan Daniels, a young seminarian at what was then Episcopal Theological School in Cambridge in the early 1960s. I'm just curious, how many of you have actually heard that name before, Jonathan Daniels? So a few, okay. The rest of us will learn something this morning that we might not have expected. Jonathan Daniels uh, was born in Keene, New Hampshire, and even as a high school student there, he began to struggle with what it might mean to best serve God. He went south to Virginia Military Academy for his college education, and this question of what he was supposed to do for God continued to work away at him. And as part of his discernment, he came back to this area and began to study literature at Harvard. And the story goes that one Easter morning at the Church of the Advent on Beacon Hill, he found clarity in God's invitation to him. And he enrolled that fall at Episcopal Theological School in Cambridge to train for the ordained ministry. But that invitation 
to train for the priesthood did not end there. It was while at ETS that he heard a deeper call to his truest self, as the hymn we just sang says. He heard God's call to work with uh, Dr. King, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and to participate in the great moral battle of his time, which of course was the Civil Rights Movement. And in response to King's uh, literal call to seminarians and clergy and others to come down to the South to work with him, in the spring of 1965, Daniels went to Alabama to do voter registration work, and he had planned to participate in one of the marches from Selma to Montgomery in support of voting rights. And he had planned just to stay there for the weekend. I guess they took the bus down on a Thursday, and they were going to come back on Sunday. Well, it turned out that he missed the bus home, he and another student, and so he found himself there for a bit longer than he had expected. And he began to be so taken by what he found there, the community and the urgency of the work there, that he worked it out so that he was able to stay there. And he finished his uh, term at seminary by correspondence. And he went back briefly to take his exams in May, but then went back to Selma and began living with a black family there. So compelled was he by the call of Christ to take part in that holy work of racial reconciliation and racial justice. It turns out that one of his projects there was the attempt to integrate the Episcopal Church in Selma. Each Sunday he would bring a group of African-American children and teenagers to a white Episcopal church there, and each Sunday he was redirected with that group of young people to the black Episcopal church in town, across town. According to one account, he described what could only be called an awakening, an epiphany, if you will. His friend recalled this about him he said he had never dreamed of a community like the one he lived in in Selma. This friend continues to recall. Daniel said, you know, I'm scared all the time. I'm scared all the time, but I'm not scared enough to give up the life that I've gained here. I'm scared, but I'm not scared enough to leave. In August of 1965, ironically, just a few days after the passage of the Voting Rights Act, Daniels and some other civil rights workers, black and white, were released from jail after a protest that they'd been jailed for. And they were walking to a small store to get a cold drink. You can imagine what August in Alabama is like. And on his way to the store, as they're approaching the store, a former deputy sheriff pulled out a gun and shot what he thought was going to be a young teenage black girl. But Jonathan Daniels threw himself in front of her and died. Today, Jonathan Daniels is honored in the Episcopal calendar for his sacrifice. His day is August 14th. Now, our epiphanies, our awakenings are not likely to be as risky and costly 
as God's invitation to Jonathan Daniels. We may hear the calls, the invitations to different kinds of holy work. But they may come with the same initial resistance and confusion and the slowly dawning sense of awareness and clarity of what is the right path to take. And they take place in the context of community where others help us to hear what God may be asking us to do. I think Samuel's story best reminds us of this process. He keeps on hearing his name called, but he misunderstands what the call is about, who it is that's speaking to him and what it means. I think we often also get repeated messages or inklings or nudges or hints of where the spirit wants us to go. And but we're not sure. And so we go to a trusted person or set of people to a community to see what they might have to say. And we pray earnestly on our knees. We often need help from others to figure out what God might be saying to us or inviting us to do. It can take patience, a tolerance for ambiguity, a willingness to accept events that are beyond our control, a willingness to be changed or to change direction, an openness to direction from other Christian people, and the courage to move through and beyond fear. One last word to put all this in context. You remember that last Sunday was the day that we commemorated Jesus' baptism and his naming as Jesus, the one who saves. And you'll remember, if you were here, we also celebrated the baptisms of two beautiful little children, Alex and Katerina. And you'll remember that the climax of that story of Jesus' baptism was the voice of God saying, You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. I want to encourage all of us to remember that all of our invitations from God, all of our calls, all of our aha moments from God, even the ones that most frighten us in which we're not so confident, all of them rest on this fundamental bedrock truth. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. Everything flows from that profound declaration. All of our epiphanies, all of our responses, all are surrounded by that truth. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. Amen.